Morning, family. Everybody doing well? Isn't it wonderful to see just the, the fruit of this community? It's so beautiful. It was our privilege earlier this year to go visit Morocco with some of the other ministries and just to see what happens there. And it's so beautiful to see what God is doing through this community in so many different places. It's good to be with you this morning and uh, going to share with you a word that I've entitled, The Church God Needs. The Church God Needs. And it's a bit of a preparation for our season that we're going into over the next couple of weeks, our Faith Promise season. And uh, just with this time where we're so thankful and we celebrate and consider, and it's good to have our ministry leaders and our missionaries with us over the next couple of weeks. And, and then after that, we'll be going, when that season's finished in November, we'll be doing a short series on faith to flourish. And uh, we'll be talking about that some more later on. But today I want to share with you this thought and this word about the church God needs. And uh, it's actually a question that we're posing to ourselves. What is the church that God needs in this city at this time, and what does that mean for us? A couple of weeks ago, we had a problem with a light in our house. One of the light fixtures was starting to act up a little bit, and so what happened when you switched on the light, it tripped the power of the house. The the earth leakage dropped, and uh, so I decided that I'm going to fix this problem. Sometimes my stinginess and not wanting to spend money uh, gets the better of me, and then I think I can fix it. So uh, I went and got my ladder and got on the ladder and started looking at this light and eventually took it off um, and then opened it up. And I, could f- I found inside that one of the balusters, and this is what a baluster looks like in case you don't know. That's one that I was working with didn't exactly look like this. It's a transforming unit within some of our older light fixtures that particularly the light I was working on is like one of these fluorescent lights that we have here in the auditorium. They, uh, the older ones have these kind of balusters within them. And what they do is they change the power from 220 volt to whatever it is that that light specifically needs to work with. And uh, so I took with a baluster and I looked at it and I saw that on the one end of the baluster there was a, a, a little bit of uh, blackness. You know, there was obviously a short that was taking place and that's why the, the unit was tripping the power. And uh, so if I wanted to be able to still use that light and not replace it, I had to replace this thing. So I took it out and uh, went to one of the shops in our area, but it was the the store closest to us that I thought could possibly have one of these for me, Um, but it was a store that more deals with modern lighting and uh, particularly energy-saving type of lights. So I went and walked in there and waited for the gentleman, and finally when it was my turn, I, I said to him, do you possibly by any chance have one of these balusters that I can buy from you because I need to fix a light? So I took at it, he looked at it, and he said, sir, take this thing and throw it as far away as you can. (laughs) And I went, now, what are you talking about? He says, we don't need these anymore. We don't use lights. We don't have to use lights that use balusters anymore. So he started showing me that with the modern lights that we have, these energy-saving bulbs, that they run off 220 volts. So they can be directly connected to the house power. They don't need... uh, some unit like this to step down the power in between them. So he sold me a new unit. He said, you know, just try this new unit and put the new bulbs in. And so when I got it, I picked it up and it was so light as compared to what I'm used to with these lights. And some of you that have worked with them will know that they're heavy because these things have a lot of copper wiring in them and they generally tend to be quite heavy. So he opened it up and showed me on the inside and literally on the inside of this new unit, there was only two wires, nothing else. These older ones had the balusters, a couple of them in them normally, starters, and, and a lot of wiring. And uh, this new one just had these two little thin wires in it. Because literally, you just have to connect the globe to the house's power, and it works. So I thought, this is wonderful. This is fantastic. So I went home, fitted it, put it up, and it worked. And, and you know how these older fluorescent lights, when you switch them on, they go, and then they go on? Does yours do that sound also? That's what mine sounds like when I do it. And, and they flicker. They like, like you've got a bit of a light show going while you're standing there waiting for it to come on. And while you're standing, you're thinking, I'm sure I'm losing a couple of brain cells at this moment right now. This just doesn't feel healthy. And, it just, and then it goes on. And when it's on, it goes the whole time. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Hey? It's like you don't know they make a noise until you switch them off and you go, oh, it's quiet. And uh, so when I put this new unit on, it didn't do that. It, when you switched it on, it went boom, on. And it made no noise. There were no brain cells being burnt. It was just wonderful. 
So since then, I've started replacing all of these units in my house. And now because I'm a cheapskate, what I do is I, I take off the old, uh, the old ones and I strip all the wiring on the inside. And I just have the, connect them directly. So I'm using my old units, I've repurposed them because, uh, so that I can have new light. Isn't it wonderful how technology changes life? Now, why am I telling you this story? So that you could be impressed with my skills. That's actually <laughs> the reason I'm telling you this story, that I'm able to do this and still am alive today. I will not tell you how many times the power did trip and how many things did I break. That, that's not important to the story whatsoever. But um, I'm wanting to talk to you about relevance a little bit. Now, before I do that, let me tell you another illustration that may help you understand the point that I'm trying to make. I don't know how many of you can remember driving around in your car with something that looked like this, a map book, or one of those foldable maps. This is somebody's that I lent. I love map books. I, when I go to different places, I buy map books to just give me a sense of the bigger picture of the area. But this is the kind of map book that, you know, it's even got fold tape, that we used to drive with. How many of you can remember this? Or those like fold-out ones that you, you, know, you had and then of, the, of Pretoria. You get them from the city council. And you fold them out. And when you're driving down the road, you don't see a person. You just see a person, you know, a map going like this. Or, or you see a husband and wife shouting at one another because the, the husband's saying, come on, can't you turn under really? And they're trying to figure out where they've got to go because they, they used to have a map book. Aren't you glad? Aren't your marriages much better off nowadays <laughs> that we don't need map books? We've got these wonderful devices now. Our smartphones generally all have software on it, and all we have, you know, GPS units that we put in our cars, and there's this nice lady that talks to you. <laughs> Unlike your wife, she doesn't raise her voice and get excited <laughs> and, you know, shout at you and, why are you doing this, you know? She just gently says, redirecting or rerouting, <laughs> rerouting. At the, next, at the next intersection, make a U-turn. You know, that's all. She just gets, she stays calm. Isn't it wonderful? And uh, how things have changed. Because maps like these, like balusters, these are two units that I can show you examples of things that have become irrelevant. Now, maps aren't irrelevant, and light is not irrelevant. But the way that we interact with them, the way we use them, keeps on changing and have become irrelevant. We probably, in terms of maps, use maps more than what we did in earlier years because it's so easily available to us. Uh, remember the days uh, when you used to have give people directions. Now, I have a person in my family, and this person I never name because I get in trouble when I name their name. But this person in our family is directionally challenged. She, and I will not tell you who this person is, <laughs> <laughs> gets lost in a mall when she comes out of the bathroom because she doesn't know which way she's supposed to go. But I will not say who this person is. So names and dates have been changed. And uh, I used to have to draw maps for this person whenever this person would drive around and uh, with little like road like little marks, and she's kept some of them actually because I used to draw for her little like signposts in a tree and uh, the store, and you know, so that she could just drive and follow them. Now it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. I type in the GPS where she has to go, and not only that, I follow her. <laughs> I put her, is, you know, the, the, the find my friend that you have on some of the better type of phones? There's a, an app called Find My Friend. And so whenever she's driving, I watch her. And then I phone and I say, you've missed the turn off. <laughs> you're not going where you're supposed to be going. Turn around. But unlike my GPS, she doesn't speak in that same calm tone of voice. Somehow it's now my fault that, uh, you know, but this person will go unnamed. And, uh, you know, so it's wonderful how we can use technology. And, but the challenge in our lives is to stay up to date or to stay relevant with what is happening and make use of those things that just work better. And I think it's the story of every one of our lives is how do we stay relevant? It's the story of a church, of a church community. How does a church stay relevant in its times? Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about the word relevant and what I mean when I use the word relevant. The word relevant to me mean, doesn't mean just to be hip and with it. 
Now, even the word hip and with it is not hip and with it anymore. Am I right, younger people? I, 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 evidently, I've got to use some word like lit. It's lit when, <laughs> come on. I was told this by somebody else. It's not a word. So, did you even know that, older people? It's like, if you want to say something, it was a lit party that we were, oh, I don't know what that means, but that's it, you know. How, how we, we're consistently having to engage with the world around us. And when I mean, when I use relevant, I'm not just talking about, you know, being hip and being modern and being fancy and, and being up to date. But I think when we consider the word relevance, we, the, one of the definitions of the word relevant is being closely connected or appropriate to the matter at hand. And we've got a calling as the church in our society to be relevant, to be connected or appropriate to the matters at hand. It's horrible when a church is answering questions that nobody's asking anymore. If we're answering yesterday's questions or addressing yesterday's issues, we become irrelevant. My definition of the word relevant is to, or one of the other definitions, sorry, that I like, is to find the connection point between what you want to say and what people want to hear. Because sometimes we want to say something, even if it's in a conversation, if, are you relevant to a conversation, is are you saying what people want to hear? Now, you can understand that to be relevant is to find the overlap between those two. How do I say something in a way that somebody can hear what I'm saying? And it's, that's part of what it means to be relevant. To become irrelevant, I think, is to continue to serve what God is doing, was doing yesterday. That's what it means to become irrelevant. You serve what God was doing yesterday. Now, the word relevant is always with us in the church, and it's always a, a struggle. How to be relevant, and what, what does that word mean? And I think it's, it's important for us to understand that to be relevant is, has goods and bad to it. Because sometimes it's, it's this tension that we have to find. Because we have an old message. Amen? Our message is not a new message. It's old. We have to take this old message from the past, speak it relevantly into the present in a way that prophetically shapes the future. Amen? Let's, let me say that again. Think about that. We have to take an old message, speak it relevantly in the present, or live it relevantly in the present in a way that prophetically shapes the future. You see, as a church or as a Christian, you can be so concerned with being relevant that you only respond to the culture of your time, but you never shape it. And that's a challenge. God is not just ask us to respond to the world around us and to be relevant to the world. He also asks us to shape where the world is going. If the church is only concerned with being relevant, and to them relevance means just being able to speak in a way that people understand it today or live or do things in a way that people understand now, we lose our prophetic edge and then others will shape the future. We can't shape the future. It is the challenge of the church. The church is the prophetic body in any community that has, the, that has these prophetic components of being prophetic, in other words, being able to speak the word of God to the people in the time in a way that they can hear and understand it but also pointing towards where God wants people to go. So we can never just deal with the present. We always have to deal with the present in the light of where God wants us to go. What is the future? How do we shape and build the future? And this becomes the question of the church. How do you respond to the culture? And what must you do to shape the culture? And it's in this that we wrestle with the message sometimes? And how do we bring the message across? What kind of church should we be? What kind of church do we need to be in a society so that we're relevant in terms of that we're not like this thing? Because though light may not be relevant, remember what I said earlier, this has become irrelevant. Though our message will never become irrelevant. Amen? The message we have, the gospel, cannot become irrelevant. But we can become irrelevant in the way we show it. So how do we maintain relevance? But then, how do we be prophetic? How do we stretch people and take them beyond where they're comfortable and where they prefer things? 
And these are big questions that every single church, every single local church, every denomination, every church structure has to ask. Every believer has to ask this question of themselves. It's not only a question we ask collectively or we struggle with, it's also your question in terms of your workplace, your family, the people where God's called you to make a difference. How are you to engage with them in a way that they can feel you understand them and you are, you are relevant to their needs and their situation, but at the same time that you can prophetically lead them to a place where God wants them to go? These are not always easy to negotiate and figure out. When I was sent, Natasha and I, from this church in the early 2000s to go and plant the church in Centurion, we struggled with why did we have to do this and what was God saying to us? And as we were praying through it, we felt God said we need to plant a church to do something new. Now, it's always wonderful when God says go and do something new because what He's actually saying to you is do something that you don't know how to do. That's literally what He's saying. He's saying go and do something that you aren't currently doing. Go and lead something and I will show you what it's got to be because, but you don't know what it is now. But I will reveal it and I will show it to you as you engage with it. And as we started with the church there and working with the people, as a community, we quickly began to wrestle with these things. What kind of church does God need us to be in? In trying to figure this out, I, I one day in prayer felt the Lord say to me, there's three questions I have to be able to find an answer for. Not one of the three, all three, and not one at a time, but all three at the same time. And these were the three questions. What church does God need? And, and obviously, that, the context was Centurion at that time. What church does God need in Centurion? What church do we need? In other words, the people that were now with me in this church, this church plant, and our community, what church do we need? And then what church does Centurion need? So we needed to answer, find ways to answer all three of those questions. You see, because if I ask God, what church do you need? It tells me something. Then if I ask my people, what church do they need? They'll tell me something. And then if I had to be able to ask the community around me, why would you want a church in your area? They'll tell me something different. And if I can find how those three answers relate to one another, how to structure and prioritize them, then I can become the church of the Lord in that space and in that time. But unfortunately, what I've learned over the years, you don't answer that question once and then you settle. You keep on negotiating, working through but I think you'll agree with me that if the first question you should ask, to sort of the starting point, the, the reference point from where you move is to ask the question, what church does God need? I think that's the first place where you start. What church do you need, God? What church do you need in our city? And I think every church, in some way or another, they use, use different language, we, we ask that question. And depending on what God answers us, we need to start building and structuring and developing our church so that we are relevant to the answer that God gives. Because if we're relevant to the answer that God gives, from there we can move and start answering the other questions. And it's never one or the other. It's always all three. And, it's, and I think as you mature as a body, you bring those three questions closer and closer and closer together. But the starting point, I think, always needs to remain. What church does God need? Now, how do we answer that question? I think the Bible is really important. Like we did with the book of Acts last year. Part of the reason why we did that is to say, Lord, speak to us from the Scripture and inform us as to your picture, not just our picture. Because if you ask me what church does God need, I will answer you probably according to the church I need. And I will tell you it's the church God needs because it's what I need. And sometimes we can get pretty adamant about it as people. We think I've got the revelation. This is the church God needs and, but it's because of what I think I need. Now, is what you need legitimate? Yes, it's very important. It's not cannot be ignored, but it needs to find its expression within that. So I want to go to the Lord first and say, Lord, what church do you need? What church do you need in Pretoria at this point in time? What are the key markers of the church that you want? And then I want to ask that specific question of Hatfield and say, Lord, what church do you need Hatfield to be in this time, in this city? And then from there, I can move and, and, and say to people, now tell us, what church do you need? What are the things that you would need in the church? And I, I don't think it's about asking the questions about, do you want blue carpets or red carpets? It's about the, the value things. Unless red carpets is a real spiritual value that you have. 
Remember the red carpets we had in Anderson Street Church. Perhaps that's what we need. We need red carpets again. Just kidding. Just, just teasing. But it's asking ourselves. And it's, it's often so interesting to take time as a community and to be able to consider those questions. And the Lord continues to ask those. And in every situation, in every context, there would be things that are a little different from the others. If that wasn't the case, why did, for instance, in Revelation, the spirit of the churches, that, and there were seven letters written to seven letter churches in Asia Minor. Not one letter written to all of them, seven different letters to seven different churches, because each of them had, in their own context, in their own reality, things that God wanted to say to them that would suit their context. But yet at the same time, every one of those letters are also prophetically true that even today we can read those letters and they still speak to us. Isn't that amazing what the Spirit of God can do? He can speak in a context very true to that context, but it will always fit in also with the bigger picture. And we, we find those. Think of Corinthians, Paul writing, and the other epistles. How many times in the epistles do we find them addressing specific things that was relevant to that context and that time? And that those people were asking questions about and wrestling with. Some of those questions they wrestled with, we don't wrestle with. But we read the answers and we can extrapolate from the answer and, and study and consider the answer and learn the principles and perhaps answer the question in a different way or apply it differently but still stay true to the prophetic voice of God through that piece of Scripture. And it's this that we're consistently doing within the church. Over the last years in Hatfield, there's been a period of time where we've actually been doing this again. I think for more than two years now. There was a period of time where the people of Hatfield said, Lord, what church do you need? What is the church that you want us to be? We've been a certain type of church for periods of time, and we can look through our history, and there's certain developments all throughout. There were certain focus points. There were certain movements that we had, and, and, and thank God it's all, it's, it keeps on changing. And right now we are again saying, Lord, speak to us. What kind of church do you want us to be? And for two years, that question has been asked in many different forums and places. And many of you have engaged with that question and helped us to listen and hear what God is saying. So that from there we can move forward. And it's been wonderful to see, and I think over the last couple of months, We've been seeing the crystallization, the clarity that is beginning to come to us and has come to us already in terms of what God is saying to this church, how God wants us to do things. What is the message that Hatfield has to bring in this time? Not only in our city, but even possibly beyond. And then how do we convey that message? And whenever you think of a, the, being the messenger of God, one of the things that you have to consider is what media do you use? How do you convey the message? That also becomes important. Because sometimes the media and the message can conflict with one another, and you have to understand how those work together. And now, now I'm saying something technical. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. We live in a society that is very fast-paced and, and has become used to getting information in a certain way. The way our society is structured now, we are overrun with information. We have so many sources of information that is so up to date, up to the minute, up to the hour. We don't, like in the days of past, are not content with reading the newspaper that actually was printed yesterday to find today's news. We have apps that tell us at the, on the minute what is busy happening. News and information comes at us very fast. Not only does it come at us very fast, it comes at us in ways that competes for grabbing our attention. So every time you open up your computer or you open up your television or you engage with, with information, they, they, it not only comes at you as information, it comes at you as media in a way that tries to grab your attention. And, and, and sometimes what grabs our attention is what is the most colorful, what is the most clear, what is, there's many different ways that what sometimes is the most shocking or whatever, and, and, and news is structured and information is structured in a way to grab your attention because it competes with so much else. So we are used to, you know, connecting with information like this as well as being broad. We look at 10 things at once. You know, you watch a person watching television nowadays, they're probably watching television while, it, while their phone is in their one hand and their, and their tablet is lying next to them. Is that not true? Not any of you. 
Sometimes I'm watching the movie with my family, and then I've got the tablet here with the cricket or something on. And it's wonderful how we can do that. Now, whether we're always in the moment, I don't know. That's a discussion for another day. But now we've got, that's our context. How do we bring the gospel relevant in a context like that? Should that influence the way we present the gospel to people, how we communicate? Is it still possible to have a very flat, non, you know, sort of one-dimensional communication style in church on a Sunday? Probably not. So nowadays, if you go to any church that is, is, is growing and has got some life in it, you'll find they have big screens, they have lights, they have very lively music, they have, you know, coffee is normally a part of it. They have all these kinds of things that tries to connect with people. And it's the media that we use to bring the message across. So the, the pastor even nowadays has to be a handsome, wavy-haired, muscular, well-dressed person like me, you know, like aren't you glad that you have, you know, you tick that box at least, you know, a person that, that communicates well and, you know, and, and you need that and you need musicians that are really lit, you know, they are on fire, and, and, and it's like, wow, because you, you, you're competing with so much that people step into church, they must almost be swept away by this experience that, that grabs them, and it's wonderful. Sometimes the pressure on us as preachers is to, is to preach messages that are very easily and, and quickly understood by people so that they, they don't actually have to really put their mind in second gear, they can just sort of idle in the church and just you know, you, you, your message comes down to one-liners and motivational statements, and it just makes people feel, woo, wonderful, life is good. And, 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 and you're trying to be relevant to where people are, and you understand these things. But can you understand how that can produce a challenge for the message that we bring? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. So it is my responsibility, it's our responsibility as a church to speak and to communicate and to bring the message in a way that people can hear and receive. But there's also another scripture that talks about the way we present the gospel and a reality that we may sometimes face. And it's the verse in, where is it now, 2 Timothy. Where did I put this now? How did I lose this? Oh, no. Did I put it later? Sorry. But in any case, you know the verse in 2 Timothy where it says, in the latter days, people would need their ears to be tickled. They wouldn't be invested in the truth anymore. They just want, and that's the challenge in an age of infotainment, where how do we find this balance in producing our message and delivering our message in a way that grabs people, that is understandable for people, but at the same time takes them deeper and requires people to engage and respond to the message, to carry the message, to not only be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. And I always find that it's quite a challenge to do that. I try my best and I think you've seen this, that I try to take scriptural concepts that may be a little hard and to bring them down and make them understandable for people, but I want to do that in a way so that you can take that and work with it and engage with it and think through it and, and let it speak to your life so that you can not only shape your life, but if we understand the scripture and we shape our lives around it, then we can become possibly those that can shape our culture. But if the word just engages with us on a very superficial level and all we need the word for is to make us feel better and to, to, to sort of just pick us up and, yeah, there's hope, then I don't know how far it goes in terms of being prophetic and shaping. So we, we caught in those two realities that as the church, can we engage with the word? Because sometimes you can come to church, and this is the concern that we all have. Every church needs to find answers for this. But you can come to a church, and the lights are so great, and the ministry is so wonderful, and the music is so awesome, that you leave and you feel, wow, what an awesome experience. But you had received no message. You received nothing that can really shape your life. How do we do that? How do we 
be a church that's open, that draws people in, that are so used to being treated like this by the, the culture and the media around them, and engage with them, but then take them further, prophetically take them deeper. Say, God treats you different. God doesn't treat you the way the world out there treats you. God treats you different. You're a co-worker with Christ. You're not just a consumer. You're a co-worker. You're not just here to receive. You are here to receive and to give. How do we do that? And, and the way we do things becomes very important in communicating what we really believe. And as a church, it's for us, even in Hatfield, we, these are the things that we ask ourselves and engage with. And we wrestle with these things. And it's been a wonderful journey over the last years to hear the Lord say fresh things. To hear the Lord saying, you know, talking to us. And one of the first things we asked the Lord uh, last year is we said, Lord, what does our vision need to change? And we felt the Lord said, no, your vision remains. God's kingdom, hearts, homes, and beyond. But then we started populating that and coloring that in a bit more and getting more clarity. And we said, it's God's kingdom, hearts, homes, and beyond by being a community on a mission that makes disciples. And this term, community on a mission, and this season for Faith Promise is termed community on a mission, has become really important for us to think through. How do we be a community that lives our faith together? Not in a, in a way that is what we need, but it is a way that God needs us to do it so that we become a prophetic voice to this city. So that when people look at us, they see not just a reflection of the world, with Christian language on top of it, but they actually see something that makes them go, wow, I don't understand that. That challenges me. That is so different. The way you treat one another, the way you spend your money, the way you interact, the way you position yourselves, the way your leaders treat you, all of that is so different that it, I, I don't understand it. That's a prophetic voice. So what does it mean to be a community like that, but a community that's on a mission? A community that understands we are engaging with the world and we are here because the world needs the gospel and the message of Christ. And each of us is a part of that communication of the story of Christ that needs to be shared in the world around us. And part of that is, well, how does it mean to make disciples? What does discipleship look like? How do we grow a church and be a church that is really strong at what we do and, and present something to the world that is attractive and that, is, that people go, it's not amateur hour and everything is just, the carpets are dirty and it's just, you know, it's nice, it's excellent, there's something beautiful to it. But also at the same time that says, but you have a part to play in it, even if you're not perfect, even if you don't have everything. And those are not always easy things to answer. When we we think of this church and what builds and makes this church. And I know many times you come to church on a Sunday and you think that's what church is. Can I tell you, it's a small fraction of what this church is about. Very important part. It's a window into some other things perhaps sometimes. It's a, it's a celebration of what God is doing among us. And it's also sometimes a, a call into going further. And it has all of those elements. But it's, it's one part. This church works and runs because of committed people, some that are on our payroll and many most that aren't, but they're all workers in the life of this church. They all contribute and make this church work. How do we find that balance so that we have the right amount of people that support others to do the work of the ministry? According to Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, this is the work of the fivefold ministry. Do you equip the saints for their work of service? If we, if we just want a church where everything is spectacular, then we, then we just allow people in church to minister, to serve in church that we have more control over in terms of we pay them their money and we know there's a quality control that comes with it. But now that's not the whole message. The message is every person's part of it. So how do we structure and find that balance? I'm so grateful for this church where our musicians aren't paid people. Their worship begins by them themselves giving sacrifice of worship, of serving a body from a place of voluntarily giving that. I think they need a round of applause for that heart that they display. We have some people that are in paid positions, in, but their job is to serve and raise up this team. Our volunteer team in this church that does worship is over 100 people involved. I think of our media people that do all these things for us. It's volunteers that come and work. 
I think of our, our C4G outside there. Our teachers, people that give their time and say, I believe. I want to make a difference. And that's the avenue. It's not the only avenue that's available, but that's an avenue that they've chosen to say, I'm going to do this. And they serve. And we need to always value and cherish that. I think of the caring that happens in this church, in this community. For so many years now, I grew up with this already in place, and I celebrate and I trust God that we'll take it to the next level, that the people that are on the front line in the church that serves and cares are, the, are our cell leaders and shepherds that are community group, oh, life group leaders, I've got too many terms in my head, life group leaders and, and uh, shepherds that are supported and led and, and, and encouraged and strengthened by the pastoral team, but it's all of them together that provides the care the, for this community. What an, what an amazing thing. I wonder if there are I didn't prepare anybody for this, so if you're a shepherd, small group leader in any way in this church, if you can just stand currently, just where you are right now, just stand. If you lead a small group, you're a shepherd, you, you, you're responsible for helping and caring and directing and leading. These people are the heroes in our church. And, and I, I mean that I appreciate that so much because there's something wonderful when people say that this is part of my journey in God. I'm not doing this because it's my job. Not, not, not that that is any lesser valuable, but there's an element that it adds. This church is made up of a whole grouping and variety of people that all bring their giftings. And it's not only about what we do in church, it's about what we do beyond the church. That it takes people that has that same heart that says, in my workplace, I make a difference. In my workplace, I engage with people. I care for people. I disciple people. I shepherd people. I pray for people. In my street, in my family, wherever it is, it's so wonderful to hear the stories of people that, that share their faith in however way it works in your context, but that share this message because it's what we believe in. And it's those things that we want to grow in and even become stronger as a church. And it is from time to time necessary for us to make adjustments, to make sure that we maintain and, and be strengthened in those things. So sometimes in the life of the church, you, you grow in certain directions, and then the Lord, He changes and moves things, and then we have to respond. And right now as a church, like I said, for the last two years, we've been asking those questions, and the Lord's been giving us lots of clarity about what it is, the message, and where we need to go, and what are the things we need to do. And that, you know, that's like new wine that you start receiving. But you know when new wine gets poured out, you need to follow it with a new wine skin. Amen? Otherwise, Jesus said the new wine will fall on the ground if you don't give a new wine skin. And we've been for months now thinking and talking and, and having a big consultative process about what does the new wine skin look like for the new wine? And I hope it's not in a new wineskin. You can't have a new wineskin if you have no new wine. It's no. But because we've got new wine, we, we thank God for new wineskin. And that new wineskin is challenging us in terms of how we structure the church. What do we need in the life of the church to find this balance, to be relevant to our message? And as we've worked with it with the staff, particularly over the last months, we've recognized that we need to bring some right-sizing to our structure. That we've become a little bit too heavy in certain areas, and that for where we're going, we need to right-size. And So right now, I want you to know as a congregation, we are in a, in a process that's been going on for a couple of months in, in right-sizing, which literally means that we, we're looking at about a 20% reduction in our staff component. These obviously have great financial implications, and there are financial realities to it, but we're not doing it for financial reasons mainly or firstly. That's just a component of it. We are doing it because we believe what God is saying to us and where we have to go and what God wants to do and how we can better structure ourselves in that vision and in that mission. And I ask that you pray for us in these. These are not easy times for us to do these things. We, we would want to create a, a balance and understand, therefore, so certain people we are Having to, we're off, offering right now, we're offering people in the, in the, on the staff voluntary severance packages to say, if you feel your time as a full-time paid staff position in the church is coming to an end, you need to pray and consider, and then we will help you and make that possible for you. 
So we're in that process at the moment. It doesn't mean that, that people who you can serve the, in the church and you can be very active, and that's part of the balance we're trying to recreate, is that you can have leadership and be very active and very in this church, but it doesn't have to be a paid position. And how do we find that correct space? So we're doing that currently, and, and I'd like to ask you to pray. You know, these are people's livelihoods that we're talking about. We don't do this easily. It's not just, hey, let's do this strategically. It's, and as a staff, we've been journeying together and really praying and standing with one another and encouraging, and, and I want to commend our staff. They are phenomenal people whose hearts are after God and wants to do what God says. And, and is it hard for them? For sure. Is it uncomfortable to go through times like that? It's more than uncomfortable. It's just very challenging. But pray for us. Pray for our people, that those that feel that their time is, is done or come out the end of the process and they're not part of the full-time paid staff component of the church anymore, that they would find other places where they can make their livelihood from and be supported from. And pray for us that we come through this the, the other end, the right way. That, and we, this is a process that we would like to get finished as soon as possible. Our time frame at this point in time is, as a leadership is to get it done by the end of this year because we can't have a protracted period of uncertainty for people. Actually, in terms of the staff, we want to be done by the end of this month already. So pray for us in that. God is leading us forward. And while we may all like new things, we all like the excitingness and the newness of things, but none of us actually like to change to make the new things possible. And I think we're in a place where some things that have worked for us in the past and ways we've done things always that we perhaps shouldn't be too comfortable with those things, but be prepared to say, is there a new way, a better way that God wants this? I'm not about new just for sake of new, but thought through, well-planned well and structured things. And it's in part of that journey that we are hearing God in terms of our vision for the city. You'll remember years ago in this church, if you were here long ago, city, country, continent. It was an expression to say that God has called Hatfield beyond itself. It's not just about us. It's about the city. What has God called us for the city? What has God called us for the country, for the continent and beyond? And from that place, many strategies has followed that has made us a church that has great effect and, and impact in the world. But right now, the Lord is speaking to us afresh again and saying, what does it mean for the city? And it was because of that that when I was appointed as the senior pastor for the church here, that we, when we prayed and as leaders together, both of this church and the South Church, we felt the Lord saying very clearly that there's something He wants to do in this city and it requires the two churches to come closer together. And it's from that place of that heart that we're feeling and we prayed and it, it wasn't my idea. We, we really prayed and asked the Lord and it became part of the process right from the word go. It was in fact the conditions I was employed under was to say that we will bring the two churches and we will share and work together. We will come into a relationship because we believe God is saying something more for us. And it's challenging and it's uncomfortable in many ways. There's a sharing that has to take place that perhaps we've not done in the past and we've not been used to. Perhaps we've been churches and in both churches that has been used to just thinking about itself and what it needs and what its strengths and its good. And now the Lord is actually asking us to continue to think of ourselves and our strengths, but to include beyond that also to say there's a bigger picture. How do we do that? And I know for some of you, it's, it's, it's not preferable and it's, it's uncomfortable. The fact that I come in late for some of the services, most of the services, and come and share the word, and, and, you, and you go, can't we have, do we have a full-time pastor? Do we have half a pastor? Do we have a tenth of a pastor? Do we have nine tenths? What does this mean? And I know, I understand those questions. I really do. Can I be honest with you? It's uncomfortable for me sometimes. It would be great to be able to just be in one place at one time and not have these considerations. And I, I don't know how long that must be, but the only reason we're doing that, and I'm doing that with the, the, the full backing and support of the leaderships on both sides, is to say we believe God is saying there's something further that He wants to take us into. I don't want you to think that just because that happens and that's your, the reality is that I don't love you with all my heart. And that I'm not fully engaged here and involved in everything and giving my everything in terms of the leadership of this church. Perhaps time will tell you my heart really, and it takes time. But please understand, that's not something we're trying to do for any other reason than really trying to hold what God is saying to us. That there's something that He's doing in terms of the city. 
And if we can think across two churches, then perhaps we can think across three churches. Then perhaps we can think across four churches. Perhaps we can think about five churches. But it needs, our, and isn't God gracious that he does it step by step with us? And he's giving us this time to learn and to adjust and to wrestle. So if it's uncomfortable for you, I, I, ha, I, I have no problem that it's uncomfortable for you. And, and you can tell me it's uncomfortable, it's okay. But we trust in God in it. And I ask you to walk with us as a team, as a leadership. It's beautiful in this church to see that, that Sunday is a team that puts, that ministers. I was, I was watching the, or listening, not watching, as I was driving over the communion that you were having and Herman leading the communion. And I thought, wow, so amazing. And I enjoyed it because it's a team of us together. That, and that's part of our communication. Not only what we say, but how we say it. This is bigger than one person. This is more than one person. And are we getting it right in everything? No. Are there things that we can learn? For sure. But this is where we believe God is leading us and where we're going. And I, th I want to commend you, and I'm coming to an end as a church. You've been through some tough times. You've been through some real shakeups. But you have stayed with what you believe God has called you. You know, at the end of the day, I remember Pastor Ed always said, when it came to whether you should become a member of this church, he said, you go pray about it, and you decide, is this where God wants you to be? And I understood that always to mean that for me, that if God says, this is where I am, then this is where I am. Then if the carpets are red, but I think they should be blue, it doesn't really upset me all that much, because... This is where God said I need to be. And I want to say to you that in our church in this time, God is busy with us in a very clear and very powerful way. It's so wonderful to see the, the life of this community, the ministry, what happens. is Sundays, I know some of you leave, but some Sundays after the service, it's amazing to see the people linger just in the presence of God. God's doing real things. We're hearing the testimonies. We are so encouraged by what God is doing, not only in us, but through us. And we've got a way to go, and God is asking of us to be, to be generous and to be courageous. And I think every one of you has a role to play in that. But that's your decision to make. That's your prayer. You need to say, Lord, what are you saying to me? I think you all belong here. I think everybody belongs here, by the way. But I'll just not say that outside. But we each need to, so that we know we are engaging with God. Because you are part of this. And I've gone over my time again, so forgive me for that. Lynn. I want to come to an end. Mike, will you join me on stage, please? So right now, what I'm saying to you in a sense is just simply this. We are very privileged as a church. For this one reason, firstly, that God has called us for a purpose. And we understand, and this does not come from a place of any pride, but God has called Hatfield to have a leadership role in this city and in this nation. And therefore, we're saying, yes, Lord. And over the last months, you have said, yes, Lord, to the, in many ways. And I think we just need to continue to say, yes, Lord, to what you want. But our hearts need to be settled in that. Our hearts need to be at a place where we can say, Lord, our trust is in you. It's not in man. It's not in structures. It's in you. And every one of us that is part of this congregation and this community has a role to play. And it's to find that place in this church and through this church. Because God has big dreams for us. We serve a big God and we are asking Him for big things. This is a big city. This is a big nation. But we serve a big God. And we want to move with Him into that which He has. Won't you stand with me this morning? I want to pray for you and pray that your hearts will be settled in the Lord. Not in me, not in what I say, but in the Lord. Not in what you prefer or don't prefer, but in the Lord. If you have any questions or something you want to share, our pastoral team will be in the front. You can come and share with them. 
If you want somebody to pray with you today, we will pray with you. If you need healing in your body, let's pray with you. If you need provision for a job, we want to pray for you. So you're welcome to come to the front as I finish. But can I right now just pray for the Lord's His embrace of us and that He will settle our hearts. Father, we thank You in Jesus' name. Thank You for the church. The church globally, the church worldwide, the church across all times and spaces. Thank you, Lord, that in every church you speak the letters to the seven churches. You don't just speak one letter to all of us, but to every one of us you speak. And you, every one of us, you give us the opportunity to respond to you. Sometimes it's really challenging and very difficult, but we can. We can do it, Lord, because of your Spirit. And I praise you that you've been speaking to Hatfield and continue to speak to Hatfield. Thank you for the clarity that you've been giving us and for the stepping forward that we can do, for the things that we can put in place to move forward as a community on a mission towards seeing your kingdom in hearts, homes, and beyond. Thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that for every person that's part of this church, I pray that there would be a settling in their heart in terms of their role, in terms of their place, not only as a person that supports, but as a worker, Father as a person sent forth by you. And I thank you for that, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, let us be the church that you need. Let us be the church that you need us to be. Because in that, our needs will be met, and in that, the world's needs will be met. But let us be the church that you need us to be. Now and tomorrow, Lord. We trust you for that. Thank you for every single person that is part of this community. I speak your favor and your blessing over them. I speak your peace over them. I speak over them the ability to hear your voice and to follow you, to be challenged by you, to be taken forward by you, Lord, so that we will not only respond to the city and to the culture, but that we will shape the city and the culture. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you lots, very much. May the Lord bless you. Have a tremendous day, a wonderful Sunday. Please come and let us pray with you. Come and let us spend a moment with you if you need to. We love to do that. And if there's anything you want to speak to us about, please come forward and let's do that. Thank you.